Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you to Mark chapter 11. I mentioned yesterday that Jesus is now walking towards Jerusalem. Uh, Yesterday we had him leaving Jericho, which sits at the bottom of a long and windy road that twists its way up through the mountains towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a city on a hill. It's a city on several hills, actually. And so Jesus is now making his way up. He's almost certainly singing the Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 to 134 along with a great crowd of Galilean followers. And we pick up the story at verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to him, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! Now, this is quite obviously a form of political theater. Jesus could very easily have entered Jerusalem privately. Indeed, Jesus has been very concerned for privacy and secrecy so far throughout Mark's gospel. He's always been telling people, don't tell anybody what happened to you, right? There's the sense in which he's been keeping a a secret of his identity. But now, all of a sudden, Jesus is engaging in a very public, very political act of theater. He has arranged for this cult the colt of a donkey, to be waiting for him so that he can ride it into Jerusalem. Now, this is not an accident, okay? Jesus is not tired here. Uh, Jesus has walked all over the countryside of Israel. He doesn't all of a sudden develop a fondness for donkey riding. This is theater. Jesus is intentionally fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy. The prophecy is from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 and 10, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. All right, so as I said, this is theater. Jesus is declaring now that he is, in fact, the long-awaited son of David. He is their king, and he has come to his capital city. The only question now is, how will he be received? We pick up the story in verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. 
And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one eat figs from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers." And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Now, this is a classic example of what is usually called sandwich structure. In fact, if I recall correctly, this is the passage in the Bible that we used when I was learning about sandwich structure in seminary. In, in sandwich structure, the author places one story inside of another so that the two stories can mutually interpret each other, right? So think back to the story of the beheading of John the Baptist. Mark told that story inside the story of the mission of the Twelve because he wanted us to see what will happen to John is what will happen to all those who follow Christ. The stories are mutually interpreting. So here. The story of the cursing of the fig tree is intended as a commentary on the temple. Jesus is saying that the entire temple complex, the entire religious system of Judaism, is like a barren fig tree. It promises relief for the weary traveler, but it consistently underdelivers. Now, in Jesus' day, fig trees were planted along all the pilgrim roads that led to Jerusalem to provide food for poor and weary travelers. They didn't have, you know, Tim Hortons or Starbucks on the side of the highway. They had fig trees. By the way, they're still there in in Israel. If you walk along the pilgrim roads, there are still tons of fig trees. And I don't know how long fig trees last. I'm not suggesting they're the same fig trees, but it certainly gives you an idea. And they were supposed to provide food for weary travelers. But this fig tree provided nothing. And Jesus is saying the temple is like that. It was supposed to be a place of prayer, of teaching, of hope for poor and weary travelers in this dry and dusty world. But instead, it had become a den of robbers, a place of abuse, confusion, and deceit. So it is cursed and condemned by Jesus. Verse 20 says, As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So the fig tree has withered to the roots. Likewise, the temple will be destroyed, and not one stone will be left upon the other. 
that form of Yahweh worship will be totally eradicated. And so it was. Within 40 years of Jesus' pronouncement, made parabolically here, but then made very straightforwardly in Mark 13, the temple will have been destroyed and burned to the ground by the Romans. This is one of the most remarkable prophecies in all the Bible. Now, as for that saying about faith moving mountains, that's, by the way, where that expression comes from. When we talk about faith moving mountains, we're, we're borrowing from here. Obviously, it's intended metaphorically. Uh, I don't think Jesus is suggesting that we, you know, be, begin moving actual mountains in prayer. Even in English, mountain is a metaphor for a great insurmountable barrier. And so here, what Jesus is saying is that through faith and believing prayer, his disciples will be able to do seemingly impossible things. Now, he adds a very important caveat. He says that failure to forgive others can interfere with your prayers. When you stand praying, he says, forgive. That is very good counsel. If you won't be gracious to other people, then you have no reason to expect God to be gracious to you. Verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. They said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he'll say, Well, then why didn't you believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, some scholars divide the last section in Mark's gospel, which runs from chapter 11 through to 16, into two subsections. And they see chapters 11 and 12 together, and they see chapters 13 to 16 together. And that may be a helpful division. In the first subsection, chapters 11 and 12, the emphasis is on open confrontation between Jesus and the Jerusalem authorities. And, and this story here is a further example of that, as was the cleansing of the temple earlier in the chapter. We also see in both of these stories that the Jerusalem authorities are concerned now with the popular support that Jesus enjoys from the crowd. And so they figure out, they understand that they will have to be very careful about how they apprehend Jesus and how they dispose of him. They'll have to be secret and they will have to be sly. And this explains why they were so excited by the overture made by Judas. It explains why the trial was at night, which was technically illegal. We, now, we sometimes think that the crowds in Jerusalem turned on Jesus. We hear the, the crowds in Pilate's court shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And, and sometimes we'll even preach on that and we'll talk about how people are dangerously fickle. And of course, that may be true, but it isn't really an accurate analysis of this story. That crowd in Pilate's courtyard was almost certainly a stacked crowd gathered by the Pharisees and the temple authorities to make it look to Pilate as, as though the numbers were on their side. But in a city like Jerusalem, which was already a reasonably large city, I've read scholars who, who think it was around 30,000 people in normal days, but then could swell well over 100,000 people. 
during pilgrim uh, when pilgrims were in the in the town for the festivals as now. So in a town that probably has let's say 150,000 people in it, it wouldn't be hard to find a few hundred who'd be willing to give voice to their opposition to Jesus. But what we see in this story is that the masses of people in Jerusalem around Jesus are making the authorities very nervous. And that effectively drives them underground. They do not want to come at Jesus directly. They are now looking for a way in through the back door. More on that later. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.